morning, everybody. Great, great, great morning, CC. Uh, Mr. Mr. Waddle Jr., what's up? Oh, I'm great, man. I'm great, man. Can't complain, man. It's another, it's another day, uh, another week. Man, we're almost, man, June's almost done, man. This might be the fastest month I've felt the whole year. Um, like, long, snap, snap, it's gone. Long days, short nights. I don't know. Yeah, I just, it's just crazy. It's just going by. It's crazy that second quarter of the year is about to be done. Gone. Man, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, what's new with you, man? Hmm, new. Um, everything's still pretty much same old, same old. Grind, work hard, try to build businesses, try to help people. Love it, love it, love it. What about you? No, no, it's not about me, bro. It's about you. Um, when when you gonna drop that other news? Are you gonna drop it on here at all? What what news? Come on, dude. You know the no, news. I have no idea what you're talking. About. Man, don't even. You got news, bro. But I know you're not trying to tell nobody yet. Bad news. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Men's club? Oh. Nah. Nah, what? We keep the men's club the men's club, Coop. Bruh, you're... Dude, don't... I get it, but I'm saying... Obviously, that everyone's gonna know. I'm just, well, I mean... Is our I audience mean, gonna be able to get... Here's, uh, here's what I'm saying, Coop, okay. is... That was for the men's club, but I mean, sounds like it's sounds like it's uh sounds like Coop's ready to promote, promote, promote. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I'm not promoting anything. All I'm saying is our podcast listeners, they're in a, a select group too. All I'm saying, if if it's gonna be out there on Facebook. I mean, is it out there on Facebook, Coop? I'm just saying, when it gets out there on Facebook. Will it ever get out there on Facebook, Coop? I don't know, dude. You tell me. <laughs> you tell me. You you tell me. I've, I put, mean, the post, put the post in my draft. Put the post in my draft and let me know <laughs> when it's ready. And then I'll have my team review it. Okay. And we'll decide if it's, if it's post-worthy. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll let you have that. Um, Other than me... I'm good, bro. Nothing. Uh... I'm trying to think of a really awkward question I can ask you. Payback. How is that awkward, though? I'm, I'm just. I'll think of one. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll think of one. What's new with you, Coop? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. Um, Episode sixty, whatever. One of the weirdest intros we've ever had. That. How was that? Dude, you're making it more weirder than it needs to be. Can we get? I, I got called Lindsay after this. <laughs> Gotta have a vent session. Oh, but what did I do? Nothing, Coop. It's all good. All right, bro. I'm I'm it's good. Good. Man, good. Should we get into this episode, bro? Let's. We need to turn this around. We need to bring some energy. Get back to our great mornings. Um, Let's get into this episode. Okay. All right. Okay, Caleb. Bring in our guest for today. Hey, everyone. This morning we have. Good friend of mine, colleague, uh, fellow realtor, author, and much, much more. Uh, please welcome Tony Farah to the show. Woo-hoo! Thank you, Caleb. Appreciate the invite, my friend. And uh, what a beautiful morning. The sun is out, and I could feel the energy through your voice coming through. I'm super, super excited, uh, really, to share my experience, my stories, and uh you know, my life journey. So I appreciate you inviting me in. Tony, you are the man. Um, thank you for that. That was wonderful. Uh, the first question we always start out with is tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Awesome. Um, well, it's been uh, quite a journey. I'm uh, Originally, I'm from Lebanon. I've been in Minnesota for 32 years. 
I've immigrated during the Civil War in Lebanon, which landed me in Minnesota. And yes, like everybody asks me, why do you leave a desert to come to a colder climate, right? <laughs> um, you know, the one thing, it's family, right? So we're, we're very strong when it comes to family that sticks together, grows together sort of thing. So um, my great uh, uncle was the pastor of my current church in Northeast Minneapolis. And uh, in turn, you know, he helped immigrate um, his brother, his sister, and then the grandchildren, you know, kind of followed a uh, path with the parents. Um, mm. Graduated from De La Salle High School, um, and then from there on, um, went to start a, a, an entrepreneurial business with my brother, which was a C-store with a gas station in a neighborhood in Northeast Minneapolis. And we did that for a few years while going to college at uh, oh. the university. I went there for uh, about, gosh, four, four years, four and a half years, uh, to the point where the dean approached me and he's like, dude, you know, you've taken so many credits, you're running out of credits, you don't even have a major <laughs> picked up yet. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know, you know, I was enjoying kind of the life of, of an adult at the U. And um, all I had left was a psychology course that I needed to take in order to be accepted to the Carlson College right, School of Management. And uh, I ended up taking that course twice. Um, and then I was, every time I studied harder, I got a, a worse grade. And uh, the dean offered uh, a, an, an option for me to take it, pass or fail the third time. I said, I'm done with psychology. Little did I know that psychology is gonna end up being with me, tag me along for the rest of my life. And I'll, I'll come into that a little later. Totally. And I, yeah. Then I ended up transferring, fast forward to St. Thomas, got my degree in marketing management and um, uh, started kind of from there on. We sold the business and then I started my corporate career with what used to be and what is now Speedway Super America's 24-hour operations. I was... Um, granted both districts of uh, Minneapolis and Northeast Minneapolis. Uh, there was about 12 stores. So I was busy for a while um, for about, gosh, I want to say that was about five years until I uh, fell in love with my wife. And then I ended up going back to Lebanon, got married, came back um, and started another business again. This time I doubled up on the gas stations and uh, that did not go well as planned. And at that time, I tried to get into real estate during the bubble. And probably it was the smart decisions that I did not just because of, the, of what it was. Mm -hmm. And then I went back and kind of like studied the market. And what was really hot was the discount merchandise, like the family dollar of the world. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then given this that This is I right after the crash, Tony? During the crash, during even, the crash. yeah, during the crash, and um, the fact that I had district management experience, it was an easy transition for me. Um, and then at that point, I had kind of like the dream of traveling the nation. And if I need, I needed like the regional manager um, position to be able to kind of get to that travel mode. So I went back to college and uh, I was going, I went for my master's degree at St. Mary's University and uh, finished that in two years while working as a district manager for about 32 stores for Family Dollar. So I had, this time I had both districts, Minneapolis and St. Paul. So you can imagine two different markets, um, very aggressive, challenging neighborhoods, but I was able to turn the P&L around, you know, make them from potentially shutting down both of these districts to make them profitable. Hmm. I did that for about six years. And then uh, I got laid off because um, uh, when I got, obviously I got married, we had two boys. And then my older boys uh, got diagnosed with autism at two and a half years. And the reason I got laid off, they restructured and they hired two people to replace what I was doing, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, and right there, at that point, it was kind of an eye-opener 
you know, being a father all of a sudden and have a special need. And it was more important for me to really dig deep and figure out what is it that I can do for my son to help him out. So I was on unemployment. We started him on therapy, kind of like 40 hours a week in Minnetonka. And I would drive him in the morning at 8 o'clock and pick him up at 4. And during that time, I would just be sitting in front of his screen, researching autism, researching every single aspect of what can I do to help my son. My wife at that time, she was a full-time uh, teacher with Minneapolis. She was a world language teacher with Minneapolis Public Schools. So we were getting the benefits, the insurance, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was up to me to say, okay, how deep can I go into this autism? I joined an advocacy at the Capitol for parents advocating for autism services and resources. And I did that for about four years where we would literally camp at the Capitol, get to know the representatives, the senators, really fight for our rights. Basically, we're fighting for our children's rights. And in and, and that, you know, we're, we're really challenging the rules, the, the laws of charging special need families to get really county benefits and so forth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, I spent some time at Trader Joe's. I'd be walking down the aisles learning about special diets, learning about ingredients to the point that the manager offered me a job, which I took with an open heart, you know, bringing back the retail in me, you know, I took it to become known as the special diet person, as well as the special autism dad with the Trader Joe's cruise. So, so I started kind of like seeing the big picture and how it's being painted. And little did I know that Two, three years later, I decided to jump into real estate. In 2015, I got my license, and uh, six months into it, I joined a small group. I did not feel the connection, and I did not feel the chemistry. Um, I decided to venture away and on to be on my own. And uh, uh, I did that with a, obviously with a major brand that is known globally, um, and then... Um, when I decided to go solo on my own, I kind of did a soul search, really prayed a lot about what is it that I need to do? What is it that is being asked of me? So when I put everything that I've done to that point in front of me on a whiteboard, it just it became really obvious to me that I need to do something that is related to the special need. How can I emulate what I do? How can I be a resource to people like myself, to families like myself. And that's where I started with a brand. Um, and I literally drew a, a rooftop and I sent it off to a couple people within my spheres, within my circle. And then one of them told me, why don't you just draw some puzzles as a form of a shingle on the rooftop? And I'm like, okay, I could do that. So I drew that and I sent it back around to the same guys. And one of the mentors that I've known for 25 some years, he came back. He's like, why don't you remove one of the puzzles? So I removed one of the puzzles out of the roof. And then my designer said, you're the missing piece. Mm. So long story short, find mm. the missing piece <laughs> was trademarked uh, under my name. And now... Clients look at me as the missing piece. They look at the house as a missing piece. So it's a great metaphor that I could use. And regardless how they look at it, I have the connection to the special need um, world. Um, it's not just autism. It's a special need. And the reason is my niece was born with cerebral palsy. So she's 23 and she's wheelchair bound. Um, <laughs> And to me, it's I've had that experience modifying their home, really uh, uh, creating that <clears throat> sense of vision, not just for folks with autism, but also for for folks with uh, you know have physical difficulties as well. So then, <laughs> um, fast forward a little bit, uh, I started doing a little bit of social media just to get the word out there. 
um, there is a closed group uh, in Facebook. It's called the ASD Autism Spectrum Disorder Parent to Parent Group. It's got about maybe 3,000 members back then. And then I started posting in there and then it's formed, it was formed by like eight admins and they're all mothers. And then I, you know, the more I posted, the more I created that trust with these folks. And then they came back to me and they said, we trust your content. You know, why don't you become an admin? Would you like that option? I said, absolutely. With an open heart. And then that was a trigger point for me to start a little bit of video and then I picked up a client from, from North Dakota. I picked up another client from Vermont and other clients from Texas. And those were all relocating to Minnesota for special resources for their kids on the spectrum. Hmm. And then the more I started doing that, that and, and, and really helping solve their problems and making it easier on them, I was influenced and inspired to, to write a storybook. And maybe that's something you know if you have kids or not. Kids are drawn to stories. Kids are drawn to illustrations. Kids are drawn to colors. And especially if they are on a spectrum, you know, they, they somehow their brain, the way that it functions is that they like to see pictures, photos versus just plain content. So it's true with any kid, but especially with kids on the spectrum, the colors are more inviting and it keeps them kind of engaged with the reader. So I created the content that is only about 25% and 75% is basically illustrations. And the illustrations are all made from my um, uh, thoughts from my thought process and I was interviewed by this publisher who literally took the content and created multiple different illustrations mm. and uh, regardless who the, the reader is it could be from a parent to a child or it could be from a child to a child um, and, and that was really uh, a, an amazing amazing experience to go through uh, not knowing what the return on investment was going to be. And I really honestly did not care about it because I wanted to get the word out there. So I started sponsoring different events related to autism. There's Autism Society of Minnesota here in St. Paul. We have Autism Speaks nationally, and they do their events in every state once a year. There is a Kate Children with Autism Deserve Education that I sponsor their 5K every year. Um, there is a Chance to Grow. It's an organization in Northeast Minneapolis that helps families with special needs with therapies, whether it's speech, um, uh, occupational therapy, neurotherapy, um, et cetera. So um, I, I needed to get out to get the word out there, it's not just real estate what I do, but it's also uh, specialized working for families with special needs. Fast forward about two years ago, I, uh, I picked up a client that's looking to downsize and went from Plymouth, 5,000 square feet, to about 2,800 square feet to Minnetonka. And they were selling and then they were buying and they had a special need. So that experience alone was just tremendous to really put the pieces together again, because now I represented a seller and a buyer. And then to add, uh, not salt to injury, but to add really sweet to the story, we ended up moving ourselves from Minneapolis to Plymouth. And that was my firsthand experience with my own son, with my own family. Mm -hmm. And the way I did it, pretty much, you know, different strategies, you know, for different plans. So I have like five different plans. So there's a backup to the backup to the backup because anything is possible. The way my son's brain is structured is that he would feel much content, much safe if he knows what's happening next. So there is not nothing that is unpredictable that might pop up and then surprise him. And then that could turn into a tantrum. It could turn into an aggressive behavior. 
So stuff like that, we could definitely, as parent, avoid doing. You asked me a, a general questions, and I answered in a very long, and I tried to <laughs> narrow it as much as I could. Um, but I think the biggest why is why I do what I do. I do it because of my family. I'm inspired by my two sons, my two boys, my oldest has autism. He's 15. He's nonverbal, but we're working with him on several different therapies to enhance that communication that he has at one point. He had up to about two, two and a half before he lost everything and regressed. Uh, I do it because of my younger son who was born with a tetralogy of fellow. It's a heart defect that while I was dealing, while we were dealing, my wife and I, with autism challenges, we found ourselves in the emergency room when my son was, my younger son was born and was in the ICU for a couple of weeks. And then three months later, we found ourselves back in the ICU for his open heart surgery. Uh, why do I do what I do? I do it because of my awesome wife. Without her, I don't know that I could do this alone. So you could sum it up that I do it for my family and I do it with a great open heart and uh, I'm not ashamed to go out there and say what I do for a living because in a way I find it very unique. In a way I find it deep, um, um, deep understanding of how other families go through because I live it 24-7. I have firsthand experience I pretty much live in their shoes. So I understand their struggles. I understand their challenges. And, and when you understand these different um, kind of like life-changing events, you know, you, you become like one of them. And then you'd understand you'd work probably much harder uh, just so you could fulfill their satisfaction when it comes to real estate. Um, and that's where that's where I am right now. So um, it's 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 quite a journey, and um, I'm excited for the future. The way I see my niche growing is really by growing it organically. You know, it's it's approaching those folks out there, whether in the state of Minnesota or nationwide. There are kind of authentic agents, but they have not really figured out their roots of why they do what they do, basically. And uh, I figured out a system that works, and I've got the um, the books. You know, they serve as an added value. There's no question about it. You know, it provides the parents a sense of urgency. Hey, I, I got a call the other day, just a side note here, from a family that was relocating to Tennessee from Minneapolis. and And she's like... We're about 10 days away from moving, and my son is struggling. And I'm like, where are you? And these guys have already sold, and they're closing in a week. Their agent is, is you know, a neurotypical agent, no question about it. Obviously, they accomplished what they wanted is to get top dollars and then right. help with the relocation to Tennessee. And I went there, and I just gave them two storybooks. And she thought she was going to said no just you know remember me when 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 you come when into you your kingdom back. kind of thing right <laughs> and, and she was like tony oh my god i mean there's not a lot of people like you out there i said you know i don't like to compare myself to other people because we're, we're all in it together you know everybody has their own niche everybody has their own approach i don't look at other agents as competitors you know they're just another colleague and quite honestly, I can't be for everybody. If I am for everybody, if I want to think that way, then I'm basically for nobody. You know, I'm grateful that I was able to really find the niche that I have. And now I have a mission statement behind why I do what I do. And the, the market is so huge. And, and there is space for everybody in there. You know, it's hard work. There's no question about it. So that's Tony Farah in a nutshell. You know, I've been an agent with, with a Coldwell Banker for going on six years now and just super excited for the future. Just grateful for every day because it brings me closer to meeting new people and um, really spread the word and the awareness. 
but most importantly, try to work towards promoting inclusions of the special needs within our society, because I feel that's a total subject by itself. You know, if if we do that, just think about the opportunities we can provide for a lot of folks that are labeled special needs because uh, they deserve to be included. They deserve to contribute to society and pay taxes pretty much. So, um, Tony, thank you very, very much for sharing. I think that you have an extremely strong why. And because you gave us, you know, your, your, your story, um, you know, it's clearer than other listeners or other uh, guests on our podcast have been in the past. Um, and, and I always knew you had a strong why, but a lot of extra details in there that I definitely, <laughs> I, I know I definitely have uh, some follow-up questions, but Coop, do you want to go first or should I start? I can go. Go that ahead. Was, you, uh, you, start the, you start with the first one. Yep. So th- that was great. Uh, like Caleb was saying, Tony, um, that was definitely one of the, better of uh intros that we've heard in a long time um my so my question i'm gonna try and simplify this um i'm also uh immigrant as well um i was i'm from um liberia originally uh i was a baby parent i was three three months parents came over when i was three months they also fled a civil war that was going on as well um, but in your story, you talked about you started a business and then went to college and you did a lot of things in there that was just like hard work. Right. And I'm just curious, like where that drive comes from. Um, I think entrepreneurial spirit and if I was to take it a little deeper, would be customer-centric, customer service. Um, I, I think it, it it just comes from the culture I come from. And with all due respect to the rest of the cultures, I feel like, uh, you know, the Lebanese culture is so approachable, is so hospitable. Mm. Um, you know, everybody is, if invited, you know, they feel like they're at their own home. Um, and I grew up around this uh, environment. My dad, rest his soul, had a bakery, him and my uncle, back in Africa, in Ghana. And when they sold it and relocated to Lebanon for retirement, that's when I learned the, the sense of, you know, having your own business, being your own boss, uh, you know, provide extra service above and beyond uh, and uh, that's where I think it comes. Uh, it's 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 a combination of a culture, and you know, kind of like watching uh, our our parents, watching our elders, um, and and really picking up the pieces. Tony, how old were you when you immigrated over, and what were some of the challenges you faced? You know, as a young man or young adult. That's a good one. You'll appreciate that answer. I was 17. And when I joined De La Salle High School, it was my senior year. I tried out for the basketball team. And, the, and De La Salle High School, as you know, they went to the state championship several times. And I was as skinny as it can get, probably a little skinnier than you are right now. <laughs> uh, with all due respect, but I, I had the body and I had not worked out. You know, I started working, uh, I started playing basketball back home when I was like 12. And uh, I, I played the, uh, the uh, uh, we called it like a playmaker, but I think uh, forward, power forward back, back then. And uh, the challenge was when I tried, the language was a big barrier because I only knew Arabic and French. But I knew English wasn't going to be too far away because of the French dialect. And that helped me pick up the English faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I wanted to make the basketball team so bad. Uh, and when I tried out for it, I did not do well from the line. Everything else, they were like, we need this guy. But then come to the line, I think the pressure was on. Everybody was watching and this and that. Uh, but the biggest obstacle was the language. 
and um, I had to uh, do go through uh, uh, just an English as a second language program, mm-hmm. um, and to fit in and the there was another challenge. I struggled a little bit, but uh, I think I overcame these challenges with time by giving myself time and confidence. You know that those became kind of second nature. Yeah, I I just from from knowing you, I can't see you not fitting in, and and I it must be because of you know the circumstances you were in, you, you found a way, right? And and I want to get a little bit more into Cooper's uh, question. The the learning the entrepreneurial history of your family is awesome. Um, what what was some of your biggest takeaways from your first little uh, C store in Northeast? Um, it was really how how can we attract the same clients over and over again? You know, we call that repeated business, right? Because yep. you, you attract the same clients. They're going to bring their families. They're going to tell their neighbors. They're going to bring their, their friends. And the truth of the matter, that was a secret sauce. You know, back then, and, and, and I'm talking from like, Gosh, it was like a 95, 94 until like 2000, I think that was. Um, and the economy was so strong and the gas prices were so low. And then a 12 pack of Coca-Cola was like, we would retail it for 99 cents. And, and to <laughs> me, customer appreciation were just second to none. It was kind of the marketing of the marketing. Um, I had such a keen approach to like, why can't we just give stuff away and let the vendors contribute for it, right? Similar to like what we do now in today's market, you know, we bring in vendors and they put out uh, events for us and then they contribute basically. And Mm -hmm. um, we would be given like, if you fill up with gas, you get a free 12 pack. People were just driving from all over town just to get that free uh, a 12-pack of pop when they fill up gas. It's gas. They need it. They have to have it. But these clients, these customers felt like the, they were appreciated by driving from around town and, and really picking up that free stuff. They felt good that they got something for free, right? Um, and and that, that, that was uh, one of the takeaways for really running a business. I was... I was in my mid twenties and um, it, it, it brought joy because we knew exactly what time these clients are coming back as, as if like they were on the clock. Mm-hmm. We knew like between four and eight in the afternoon, that was like our busiest time. We would have like two cashiers running at all times. And I'm talking to small C stores, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we knew like six o'clock in the morning, we had to have like four pots of coffee because we knew how many people were coming in. So it was like, you know, having a predictable analysis of what is coming up um, was was key to our success. You must have learned so much. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Customer service is, is unbelievable. It's so, many, so much different tactics to it. So why – that's awesome, Tony. So my question to you is, you know, you – being in that world and understanding at such a young age that customer service is so important. What, what's so hard in today's world about like greeting people like their family or making them feel welcomed in your store? Yeah. Where's the disconnect now? I think the disconnect now is, is where that culture of the retail have gone to a different level. Um, you know, having, if I was to compare how I ran the C store as a family independent store versus the corporate stores, the expectations are different. Um, you know, whether it's from the customer, uh, to you as an individual owner or to, uh, the corporate. So as an independent C store owner, you're having to compete with the big stores, the C stores, their invention was basically convenience. Okay. That's why they call them a convenience store in comparison to the large big box 
the C stores, the small stores, people would pay a price to get in and out. So what happened was in the late 90s, that's when they started coming up with a pay at the pump. And to us as an independent owners, that was a huge, huge uh, hurdle to overcome. Why? Because that eliminated these customers to come in the store to pay for gas and go for the impulsive sales items like the gum, like the candy bar, like a a pop, a soda pop, like the high margin items. And then all of a sudden we had to pivot. We had to shift our mindset. And then we started including coupons at the pump. If you walk in and you pay cash or a check, uh, you, you get a cheaper price per tag because if you pay at the mm. pump, there is like that 3% that these processors have to charge the C-store owner to okay. really uh, uh, make up the difference. That's how they get paid to really uh, uh, transact the transaction, basically. So as an independent owners, you know, all of a sudden you, you start... Uh, that those activities start eating up your profits, you know, versus big corporations, they have purchasing power. And if they have thousands of stores, you know, they their costs are very minimal compared to uh, us being back then as individual owners. Um, so and, so and, you kind of saw maybe like a little bit of writing on the wall. Absolutely. And thinking, this, this might be a good time to exit. And then... Yeah. You, you said you said you went to Super America next. Is that correct? Yes. It, so when you were with Super America, right, you already had all this experience. Where, did you ever did you ever feel handcuffed trying to make changes you would have made uh, that just didn't necessarily make sense to the corporation? Oh, absolutely. You know, but of course, you know, if I had an idea to really implement, I had to get, you know, upper uh, uh, upper uh-huh. management blessings all the time. Um, there was rules and regulations we could not just, you know, I could not just make a change because we were looking for the consistency. We were looking, we had a brand and there was an image. So we wanted every client, if they walked into SAI on Franklin, to feel the same welcome, the same service as if they walked to SAI on University. You know, mm-hmm. but, and, and that was a challenge because, you know, their, our biggest challenge back then was the turnover of employees for many reasons. Um, and, and with big corporations, you know, that's always the case, you know, you can never shy away from it. That's so interesting. Uh, so then, you know, have, you were an entrepreneur's entrepreneur, then corporate America. Yeah. Uh, you almost got back into real estate. Um, but you must've known at that point that you needed to be an entrepreneur again. Yes. Because I was, I, I, that's what I knew best, I guess, right? And mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to flip a couple C stores, you know, in the suburbs of the Twin Cities. And little did I know what was coming. And, uh, you know, you spend your heart, your energy, your efforts, you clean up these stores, you set them up to a, a better standards. And then, you know, the economy takes a hole and gas prices started. Uh, inching into the three, the four dollars, and people start uh, stopped coming inside the store. They were just paying at the pump. It was so competitive. The margins were really tight, and then the credit card fees were starting to really eat up the the bottom of the profits. And it was just a uh, time to exit and and really start from scratch. And that was around two thousand seven. Who were some, and Coop, you got to you got to pull me back if I'm going too hard. Oh no, um, no, bro! <laughs> you get you like this like every other episode. It's all every good. other episode. Who who were some of the key relationships you made along the way that helped you, um, you know, transition, you know, from from entrepreneur to corporate back to entrepreneur. Um. There's one gentleman that comes to mind and he he had his own loss prevention company. And uh, if he was on the call, gosh, um, I've known Bill since I joined SA. So for a good 21 years right now. And um, 
the first time I met him, it was in a pitch black room. And he walked in and out loud, who can explain to me this saying? Quote, unquote, people do not change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of the change. Mm. And I'm like, damn, this guy is in my head already. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I, I've always, in every training, I always try to sit up front because I want to capture as much from if I'm if I'm at a seminar or at a speaker event, you know, I, I really want to capture their attention. And um, Bill and I, we became more than friends. We became like a, a son and father, you know. And he's he's in the, his upper seventies right now, and we connect every ten days or every week, wh- whether via text or call. But if, if there was somebody that I'd say that really uh, gave me that hope when I was there in the sea store, because that's where I met him. And then he kind of followed my journey and he kept uh, really giving me the push, the encouragement that um, there, there is a better way out there. And sometimes we have to really um, work hard to, to get to where we're going and, um, um, he, he was the one, and he is still is. Love it, love it. Tony, can 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 you talk a little bit about how you have dealt with fear in your life? Well, we have a choice, right? So we can either wake up with a leap of a uh, leap of uh, faith or a leap of fear. I choose the first, and the reason is because. There's nothing on this earth we can we, we control. You know, we can control our choices, the choices we make. Um, and uh, I'm going to take you, I'm going to tell you a story back in December 2018. I was probably about two and a half, almost three years in the real estate. And a, a, a screenshot comes on, on my screen on, on my social media, you know, download this business plan and you get a free one-hour coaching. And little did I know what I was getting myself into. I downloaded the business plan. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I get a call like five minutes later, and it's Tom Ferry International, one of his top saleswomen. And thank you, you know, and she went through the whole welcome, and thank you for downloading our business plan uh, how, you know, and she went like a semi interview and I'm like, listen, I'm not, I'm really not interested in, 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 you know, being coachable. I've got, uh, too much to lose and I really don't have the time. So I came up with every single excuse. Right. And to me, that was just the fear of spending money. This is going to be a good story. I bet Tony. Yeah. And she's like, Tony, well, why do you say that? I said, listen, you have no idea what I've been through, okay? She's like, well, tell me. And I'm like, you want to hear it? She's like, yeah, please. I'm like, okay. I have a special needs son. We live in a county where we get support, okay? I said, it does not pay for me to make a lot of money. And and quite honestly, I was wrapping up 2017, my second year. I did about 17 transactions. And 2018, I was about going to do about 24, 25. I was happy. I was satisfied. And I said, because I my son is on medical assistance, the more income I make and the more income I generate, the more the medical assistant fee is going to be. So to me, it just does not make sense for me to bring it from the right hand and pay it back on the left side. Sure. She's like, I totally understand how you feel. And I'm like, hey, this is like a line that I use right now to handle objections. <laughs> And I'm like, really? You do? She's like, yeah. I'm like, tell me. She's like, Tony, so your son's been on medical assistance, let's say, four or five years now, correct? Give or take. I said, yeah, correct. She's like, is it fair to say that other parents, other families with special need have been helping your family, your son specifically, with their with his medical cost? therapies, et cetera, and so forth. I said, that's fair to say. She's like, well, don't you think it's time for you to help other families come in behind you? 
Wow. Mm. Wow. And she was quiet. Ten seconds, I started crying. I said, sign me up. And and I at that point, it was that leap of faith that came out. She was not selling me. She may have thought that she was selling me, but I think that the conversation went a little deeper because she went and said, what if? She gave me that alternative. And then fast forward, last year, 20% of my business, I did 47 transactions last year as a solo agent. 20% of these transactions came from helping families with special needs. So we have a choice. So every morning I get up and I write down my 10 gratitudes. I reroute, rewrite rather my 10 daily intention goals for every day. And these could be as simple as doing my meditation, doing my exercise, whether it's stretching or whether it's doing uh, uh, squatting or doing air biking, uh, rewriting that I have to do my hour of power every day, rewriting that marketing is is my business, innovation, creations, whatever. I have to create opportunities. So every day it becomes like a habit right now. And if we can take it, we can take it further. How do I overcome fear by being disciplined, by creating that daily behaviors that is going to help me move the needle forward every single day. Mm, that's, that's, no, yeah. no, no, no. Okay. No. Go ahead, Coop. No, go ahead. No, no, I, you already know I'm going. That was great. Can I, can I ask Tony, um, why do you feel like it's important to write those, uh, you know, whether they're goals or your affirmations? Like, why do you feel like that's important? Well, it's, it's, are we trying to do it by memory or by design? You know, I chose the latter mm. because when, <laughs> when you write your goals, there is something about, I'm a visionary person. There is something about when you see it, you're going to dream about it. When you dream about it, you're going to start seeing it around you. Mm. And when you start seeing it around you, you're, you're going to intellectually start making it happen. I have my goals written on the mirror in my bathroom. So that's the first thing that I look at in the morning. And it's the last thing I look at before I go to bed. I'm brushing my teeth. You know, the doc, dentist tells you, hey, you got to brush like three, five minutes, babe. I'm like, yeah, I don't have time. But <laughs> when I multitask, I have to read my goals. I'm brushing my teeth and I'm reading my goals, whether they're personal, family, or business. And I'm just reading and I'm like, yep, we could do this. Holy cow, how am I going to do that? You know, we're halfway through the year. I'm not on my goals right now, but it doesn't matter. You know, I've had a lot to endure this year. You know, I've done a lot. You know, there needs to be some credit for that. But I, I think they are, um, the, the more we see them, the more we're opt to act on them. Just a couple more questions, Tony. Um, and thank you again for sharing, man. You, you, you just kind of, <laughs> you you keep hitting the nail on the head, which, which uh, you know, Coop and I really appreciate. Uh, but you already touched on some of it. Uh, you know, you, you, you're talking about you, you, the real estate coaching, um, you know, the routines. Is there anything else that you do specifically for, for self-development, for personal development? Um. You know, I'd like to get better at the special diet, to be honest with you. There's, you know, it's just like, um, you know, and improve that habit of better eating. Um, I don't drink, I don't smoke, you know, maybe occasionally, but um, not really as much as I, I work on, on self-developments, you know, by waking up early and do my meditation, pray my rosary, you know, get kind of like envision what the day you know look at my schedule and kind of like um uh, i always ask my that question you know how many new people am i bringing in today into my world how many mm. 
new folks that don't know about autism, how can I raise that awareness? So you always see me wearing socks with the puzzles, or maybe my wristband has puzzles, or maybe the pin on my jacket has puzzles. Um, it, it's it's all it goes back to like everything I do is circles around how can I uh, bring knowledge to the next level when it comes to special needs? How can I explain to others? what I do and why I do what I do. Doesn't your license plate have a puzzle piece on it too? Absolutely, yes. And yes, I drive a Range Rover. You know, it's not that I'm trying to show off or anything, but uh, to me, it's an opportunity because you don't see a lot of Range Rovers out there. To me, it's it's an opportunity for people. They see a Range Rover and then all of a sudden they look at the license plate. Mm -hmm. And... um, uh, you know, we moved to Plymouth in February, and then I did meet a CEO of an autism organization because she followed me that one day to my house to learn where I was, and she called me out of the blue explaining how she got my contact That's information. Crazy. That wow. is crazy. She knew right away where I live. Now her and my wife are good friends. They go on a daily walk. <laughs> She lives in the neighborhoods, and then she's like, oh, my God, I need to get to know this person because, obviously, he has something to do with autism. And she was able to relate the puzzle piece, um, you know, to the cause. Yeah. So cool. Um, Coop, I'm going to let you go. What, um, What motivates Tony? What motivates me? Um, if, if my coach was listening to this, he'll tell you Tony will thrive under pressure. I don't know what it is. I don't know, Caleb, if you feel the same sometimes, but, um, you know, the family, the extended family, um, the, the challenge, you know, again, maybe I'll tell you a story that sticks and maybe it resonates with the, with the listeners and with you too, um, Caleb, you probably are aware that my sister was diagnosed with stomach cancer in 27, 2018 after losing her husband in 2017 to lung cancer. And I was in the garden. I was playing with soil and I was planting the seeds that will eventually grow into plants and provide us fruits and vegetables. And she came up to me. She's like, brother, I have some bad news to tell you. And she's like, what's going on? She's like, so I looked up in the sky. I'm like, okay, we'll deal with it. She's like, no, it's stage four. And I'm like, okay, well, is that, I mean, last time I've heard four was not the biggest number because you can go from one to a thousand. She's like, no, there's like stage one, two, three, and four, and then you're done. And I looked up the sky and I'm like, hey, you know what? Let his will be done. And, uh, 2018 was a bit of a challenge. She had to go through chemos or whatnot. And Mm -hmm. until they finished chemo, they decided that because she was so advanced, they needed to remove the stomach. And of course, Mayo was the only place that could do it. Um, She's gone through tremendous surgeries, maybe five or six. She went into complications several times until last June when she had one of the biggest where they had to remove three stents that were causing her nothing but pain, mm-hmm. um, bacteria, infections, the whole nine yard. But then when they disconnected her abdominal, because she didn't have a stomach anymore, she did not have half of her esophagus, um, she could still talk, she could not eat. Everything had to be on the external, so they had an esophagostomy, mm-hmm. and that is a big word, yes. Esophagostomy <laughs> is basically a pouch that is attached to her esophagus, and she had a colostomy, and colostomy is a pouch that is attached to her colon. So she would eat, it would go into the bag, she would have to empty that bag and put a new one, she would uh, go for number two in the bag. That would have to be removed. Yes, I'm going a little gross here, but the moral of the story is what motivated me in 2018, 2019 
in 2020 is to really, I was her caregiver and she had just lost her husband. My niece, her daughter is on a wheelchair. Do you have it uh, tough or bad or miserable? Blessings because you didn't. And that was always my mojo. And I'm like, who am I to judge what my sister is going through? She needs me right now, regardless yeah. of my struggles. So last June, she was going through her last several, a couple surgeries um, with COVID. I drove to Rochester for 24 days in a row. Every morning, I would leave Minneapolis at 5.30 in the morning to get to Mayo at 7 to stand in line so they could start letting people into the building at 8. There was only one person that is allowed to visit. You cannot stay in the hospital. And you could you had short visit period, that sort of thing. They made an exception to me. I could stay during the day between the hours 8 to 6. So I would get in with her. For 24 days in a row, I would take the stairs and not the elevators to the 10th floor because I was determined to get a little bit of the exercise that I promised myself every single day. I would still write, I was still writing my uh, visualizations, mm -hmm. my gratitudes, my daily intentions. I would get up there, go in, say, hello, I'm here, but I'm busy next door. So I took over the family lounge. They had a desk, literally, with a screen and a desktop. And I maintained what I maintained <laughs> because I was determined to help my sister, but at the same time to provide for my families as well. As you know, Caleb, if we don't create opportunities, opportunities are not going to create themselves. Right, right. Especially younger in the business, right? Right. You, you, you're always, you have to be, you have to be building. Um couple more questions, Tony. Uh, man, I don't know if anybody can compete with your answer to that question, too, by the way. Uh, if you are, you know, going back in time and can say something to your 17-year-old self trying to play for the Islanders of De La Salle, uh, what's a piece of advice that you give your younger self? Just one. Just be patient. You know, patience is a virtue. And had I been a little patient with myself, knowing that, hey, I just immigrated from a country. I just left a country that was mm -hmm. in turmoil. I just left the war. Uh, I know two languages. The majorities of my classmates barely knew one language. And if I had <laughs> given myself, right? If I had given myself the patience and really used the two languages to leverage, you know, I would have been, uh, you know, probably in a, in a better situations, but I, I don't look back and say, or regret because everything happens for a reason. And yep. um, it was the, uh, the retail industry, the customer centric service that really got me to where I am today. You know, if absolutely. If you had asked me, would you have got into real estate at age 17? I would have said yes in a heartbeat. Because I probably would have been told that, oh, my God, you have a sexy French accent. You should just use it versus English <laughs> <laughs> to make these calls. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious, Tony. Are you, a, are you a reader, Tony? Do you have a book recommendation for anyone <clears throat> listening? Yes, I do. It's the who, not the how. It's Ooh. the first book that I listened to on audio. I, I literally, it took me five and a half hours and I read the whole book by Dan Sullivan. It's the who, not the how. And so many of us nowadays want to accomplish so much in so very little time. We all have 24 hours in a day. And for those of us who are married, for those of us who have kids, for those who have uh, who have maybe grandchildren, some of you listeners out there, uh, you can't do everything yourself. I've I've learned that, and when I last year, when I pivoted uh, during COVID 
during a pandemic, I did not little down. I did not listen to the news. I did not listen to negativity whatsoever. I took my business plan that I worked so hard for the year and I tore it and shredded shred away and started a 30-day business plan. And, um, and I brought in a transaction coordinator. And the minute I brought that, that person in, my business just went vertically. It just, it, something about- You'll never about go it. back. You'll never go back. Uh, no, you'll never go back. So you become who you are, who you want to be by bringing other pieces to the puzzle that's going to lift you up. So it's the who, not the how. Highly recommend that book. That's an amazing plug, Tony. And we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely put that on our list. Um, Coop, this was a great episode, man. No, this was awesome, Tony. Once again, this was awesome. Really appreciate coming talk to yeah, Coop, Coop was cutting out like crazy, but what he meant, yeah. Tony, was we really, we really appreciate your time and uh, and and sharing your story. I mean, you were a hundred percent vulnerable, and I think that's a, I think you're definitely the missing piece to a lot of people in Minnesota. That's for sure. Well, I appreciate you reaching out because I was thinking about it. You know, ever since you sent me that text, and I'm like, everything happens for a reason. There's got to be something in it for me to even push my uh, capabilities even further. You know, I've always wanted to do a podcast. I've always wanted to, it has nothing to do with real estate because, uh, you know, coming from a parent to a parent or from a parent to a therapist or from a parent to a uh, a legislator, you know, and they need Mm -hmm. to understand the challenges that we go through. They need to understand what else can we do to help these families. They need to understand that it takes uh, it, it takes a village to move a mountain with special needs. It takes a husband and a wife. So how can I really share what we do, what makes us a great couple so families with special needs can stick together? Because what we know, families that stick together grows together. And, mm-hmm. and, and we could better the society. We could better these families so they're not having to really um, uh, struggle with the kids living in two different environments. It does not work. It makes the life of the child so miserable. And I, I'm dealing with one right now. Um, they are clients of mine. And it, it's making my job a lot difficult because I have to be neutral between the husband and the wife. But it's, it's breaking my heart to see that's happening. So maybe you and I, Caleb, we can connect. And you could probably oh, guide me through how I could start something like this. It seems like easy to get going on it so i don't know <laughs> coop, coop and i do it selfishly man we get to we get to uh we get to interview a plus people and you know like i think you said something about this earlier um you know you, you uh if you hang out with those type of people you can only grow and uh you know i gotta i gotta start writing my stuff down i've been bad about it i gotta get back on that train so i owe that to you well, absolutely. So, and if you need, if you need a challenge, I'm, I'm all for it, you know? So, um, it's the, the old saying, and I'm sure you've heard of it is tell me who your friends, I'll tell you who you are. And yeah. I've always wanted, yeah. I've always been a humble person, but when I came across Tom Ferry and the summits and the whole experience, you know, by being an elite coaching member, uh, you get a sense of belonging. You know, it's, Right now, I've got a lead source that I never dreamt of. You know, I've mm-hmm. so far I've got like three agent to agent referral within the ecosystem that that amounts to forty eight thousand in GCI alone, and that's right. just by connecting with other agents nationwide. So it's it's who you know. It's not what you know, but it's the who, not the how, as well. Back back to that book. Back to All the right, book, well, man. We, 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 we want to be appreciative of your time, Tony. It's a great episode. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Thank Cooper, you again, man. I'd love we'll to connect meet you soon. someday, my friend. And let's connect soon in person. Love it. All right. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. You bet. Take care. Another great episode. Tony's larger than life, man. Um, That intro, awesome.
Awesome, awesome, awesome. He's larger than life. That's why I was so excited to have him on. Like, he's just – he had a post the other day talking about how during the Civil War he was, you know, captured by insurgents and on his way to uh, um, basically, a, you know, a prison where you know, he knew he wasn't going to see light of day and his family rescued him. Like, crazy. His family rescued him? That's what – yeah, Crazy. <laughs> Man, that's okay. I love it. So, if you need to list your house in Minnesota, call Tony, man. Like, he is your missing piece. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Um, takeaways, bro. Um, customer service is key. Write down your goals, bro. That was mine, dude. And uh, be authentic to yourself. You can you can piggyback. Uh, of course, write your goals down. I'm just saying. I I think I think about fifty percent of this podcast writes their goals down. I think. I I would say it's probably like thirty percent of oh. our our guest brought that up. Maybe twenty five. Gotcha. I was actually saying like the host. Fifty percent of the host. Yeah, fifty percent of them write them down. Fifty yeah. percent of the, at least fifty percent of the time. Yeah, got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, write your goals down, man. I mean, I feel like we're we're playing that drum like every every other episode or every third episode. Someone brings that up. Um, and then count your blessings. I really love that Ooh. one because just when you think you got it bad, guess what? Someone's got it worse. Um, yeah, so count, count your blessings. Um, and then, um, fear is a choice. Just remember, we can either choose to be afraid or choose to have faith. So that's all I got, man. That's amazing. Uh, anything you want to say quick before we cut it off? Um, yeah, this is a question we we forgot to ask Tony that, you know, I don't want to get him uh, shortchanged. But if you want to, if you want to connect with Tony, definitely check out his IG. Um, he's a super authentic dude, but his IG is Tony.F.Farah, F-A-R-A-H. But he's the man. For sure. Love it. Love it. Um, Please rate, subscribe, leave a review. Thanks. That's all I got, Caleb. You got it. That's all I got. That's all I got. Great episode, Coop. All right. Great episode. See you next week, everybody. See you next week. Bye.